Welcome to Heating Up, a podcast about climate change, our dangerous future, and what you can do about it. I'm Corinne. I'm Derek. And this is our podcast. Woo! Episode 50, Corinne. 50. We made it. We made it. I wanted to just say to all the haters out there that we did it. <laughs> do we have haters? You have I don't to be kind of cool to have haters. That's true. You have to actually have some fans first, and uh-huh. then you get haters. Is that how it works? That's when you know you've made it. Yeah. Either way. 50. Yeah. Didn't think we'd make it this far. You're going to put some cool noises in the effects. I don't have money for effects. It'll just be us. All right. Yeah. All right. Enough of that. (laughs) Perfect. Great. We've gotten clearly much better at segues in the last 50 episodes. Uh, How have you been, Corinne? Fine. Yeah, it's miserable out. Hot. Uh, Smoky. Yep. It is Labor Day weekend. So thank you, Union. I'm working on Labor Day. But you're getting paid for working on Labor Day. Yes. That's I have worked a many a Labor Days where I did not get paid any extra. But yeah. yeah. Basically, you work in service industry. These holidays mean nothing. Yeah. It's like, I, I, it's like it was Labor a day, day where I had, I had to do Veterans more labor day. because other people got the day off. Exactly. Like, yeah. Memorial Day, Veterans Day, Abe Lincoln's birthday. These holidays that are like half holidays, they don't matter at all they if mean, you're in the service industry. Only that you have to work and things are going to be a little bit worse because there's going to be kids around. Yeah, or drunk people, or both. Yes, drunk kids sometimes. <laughs> That's true, too. <laughs> this is America, isn't it? America. Uh, no, no, we don't like our kids to be drunk, but we do want them to have guns. Both. Let's see. Yeah, the the heat's back. It Oof. was uh, pretty warm. We had, a, we had a slight reprieve for a couple weeks. And the smoke is back as well. It is very smoky here in Sacramento again today because, yeah. uh, you know, the state's on fire still. Uh, we're not even going to talk about the fires in the in the news section here. Don't even get into them. We got too much other news to get to. Oh, good. Yeah, good times, I know. It has been hot, but not as hot as it has been in other places. In Phoenix, I don't know if you saw this, 50 straight days of 110 degrees or more. That's terrible. That's that's god awful. The previous record was set in 2011 was 33 straight days. That's, that's just, a lot. That's over a month, and 50 straight days is that's two a months. huge increase. <laughs> that's a huge increase. They obliterated the record that nobody wants. <laughs> Winners uh, for losers. Yeah, exactly. And then so like the temperature dropped back down just slightly, and then it went right back up. And this weekend they were supposed to be experiencing record-setting temperature for September again, back up over 110. Uh, you know, it's so hot. You, yeah, God. This is basically just kind of a reminder that no one should ever live in Phoenix. For sure. Or basically the entire Southwest. We've mentioned it on this podcast a few times, but the millions of people who live in Vegas or Phoenix or What are you doing, LA, guys? Get out. Get out now. Why'd you ever go? Yeah. I mean, these places are so hot. They're only going to get hotter and they're going to run out of water. Just flee. Flee for your lives. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's cheaper. Is it? At what cost? At what cost? Terribleness. To start off the news, I guess, in, right. in Phoenix. At least I don't live in Phoenix. Is exactly. that the positive end of it? That is the positive. Is No matter how bad it is here, you could be in Phoenix. True. The name should give it away, you'd think. A, a bird on fire or whatever. <laughs> uh, but That's what that is. Yeah. You ready for some more news? Okay. This one's a fun one. Is this a lot of news today? Can it's, you It's not me? a ton of news. Not so bad. That mm, feels like a lie. Okay. So when a lot of people think about prepping, one of the things, the first things that comes to their mind are like underground bunkers filled with beans. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Uh, so our next story details at least one potential problem with living underground. 25 people were hospitalized with carbon monoxide poisoning after being rescued from an illegal rave that was thrown inside an underground concrete bunker in Oslo this past week. Okay. Yeah. Uh, authorities said two portable diesel generators were used to power sa- uh, the Hold Saturday night party. Hold on a sec. They brought gen- diesel-powered generators into an underground cement rave and yeah. thought, this, this will go point. well. They probably just thought, it's like doing 400 whippets. Yeah. Well, so here's what happened. So apparently there was this b- missile silo on this, uh, or this underground like military silo. And it had been sealed up with concrete when it was decommissioned. And then the landowner had, like, looked into potentially turning it into, like, a parking garage. Mm-hmm. And so it had been opened up for that. And then it was resealed, but it wasn't sealed with concrete. It was sealed with wood. So these rave kids were able to pry it open and go down in there and go exploring. And so they were like, you know what? It would be sweet to have a rave down this 250-foot shaft. 
And so they found another room that had its own ventilation shaft. And what they had done is tried to seal the, the, the generators in that room. Shockingly, so they, though, these kids hopped up on a bunch of drugs going to raves, didn't totally flush out the program here. Yeah, so they like sealed the edge of the door with duct tape and like locked it closed, but some of the party goers broke into that room. Trying and, to whip it. Yeah, and in doing so, uh, threatened the lives so of everyone who attended this So they almost did rave. it. They almost did it, yeah. Okay. So if you do own or are planning on having an underground bean silo, don't, don't bring a portable generator in there. Those things are for outside use only. Uh, try not to throw raves down there. I guess that's the lesson we learned from this. Also, we're in a pandemic. Why are you guys going to raves, guys? Yeah. I thought that was like rule This is Oslo. One. They're past the pandemic. Oh, Oslo. I don't know. Right. Maybe. I would have thought they were smart. Listen, if you're... I don't think that the people that are throwing raves in an underground silo with generators are, are right. the smartest people. Right. Sure, sure, sure. All right. Moving away, Corinne, from carbon monoxide, we're going to move to its more well-known greenhouse gas, carbon dioxide. Okay. Add in an oxygen to it. Okay. That was nerdy, right? Yeah. Uh, the amount of carbon dioxide emitted by Arctic wildfires this year is already 35% higher than the figure for the entire year of 2019. Hmm. Uh, the latest data provided by the EU's Copernicus Atmosphere Monitoring Service shows that up to the 24th of August, 245 megatons of CO2 had been released from wildfires in the Arctic this year. The figure for the whole of last year was 181 megatons. Killing it. Yep. So the wildfires uh, this year, of course, coincided with the giant heat wave in Siberia, which we talked about, right? Uh, where it was over 100 degrees, was hotter in Siberia than in Miami, Florida for right. a little while. Yeah. In June, Russia's Aerial Forest Protection Service reported that 3.4 million acres of Siberian forests were burning in areas unreachable to firefighters. Last summer, the Arctic fires were so intense that they created a cloud of smoke and soot bigger than the EU landmass. So I mean... everything's normal. This is, <laughs> this is normal. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Uh... Corinne, I know one of your favorite things in the world is history. <laughs> and uh, specifically, I know that you oh. love the history of the environmental movement. That's right? really interesting. And so I don't have to remind you of the famous Cuyoga, or Cheoga River fire. I don't even know how to say that. How do I even say that? <laughs> yeah. Cuyahoga. Cuyahoga. Okay. Cuyahoga. Cuyahoga. All right. Cuyahoga. So, so I don't have to remind you of the famous Cuyahoga River fire. In 1969, uh, for everyone else here, of course, who right, remembers, right. starting in 1898, the Cuyahoga River in Ohio was so polluted with industrial runoff, slaughterhouse runoff, human oh garbage, gosh. and basically whatever other garbage they could, throw in, runoff. Yeah, they could throw into the river, that the river actually caught fire 11 times. Actually, I do have a vague recollection of sure. this, although so, I think it might be an episode of The Simpsons. Just like uh, how, you know, the Arctic shouldn't catch fire, generally speaking, rivers also shouldn't Don't. catch fire. Yeah. But this one did a couple of times, 11 times, in fact, over about 100 years, the last of which happened in 1969. A story about that fire appeared in Time magazine. And uh, outrage over the story, which was a, you know accompanied by pictures of the river on fire or whatever, uh, is viewed to, was viewed as one of the major catalysts for the creation of things like the Clean Water Act and mm -hmm. the EPA and Earth Day. All these things kind of came in the aftermath of it. And We've been cleaning up the river ever since. In fact, the cleanup has taken a long time, but on March 20th of last year, 2019, fish caught in the river were finally declared safe to eat by environmental <laughs> I'm regulators. I'm going to be the first one to eat this. <laughs> yeah. Well, safe to eat. I guarantee you people were eating this fish over the last 20 years oh, or 60 years or whatever. Terrible. Of course, Corinne, we have been talking about uh, the Trump administration's rollback of any and all environmental oh, regulations they can no. get to. And we're now starting to see the devastating effects of these rollbacks, perhaps the most symbolic of which is that that Cuyoga, Cuyahoga River caught fire again last week. Uh, a major remaining source of pollution on the river are old storm drains, which allow sewage, toxins, and fertilizer to flow directly into the waterway. And it was through one of these that a fuel tanker spilled its flaming contents onto the river well, after a road accident. Its contents were already flaming? Yeah, so the fuel tanker was you know, on, a, on the road, basically got into an accident, caught fire, and then the okay. liquid fuel went down into the storm drain and out into the river, where it then Shut caught it the down. other... Shut it down. Shut it, the whole state down. <laughs> what is this, Ohio? Yeah, Ohio. What do we need it for? So, river's on fire, Arctic's on fire, everything's on fire. Good yeah. old Donnie boy, making America great again. Yep. But, of course, we're on top of it, as the new FEMA administrator, Peter Gaynor, 
repeatedly declined to answer CNN's State of the Union Sunday whether he believes human activity is responsible for climate change, instead saying, quote, I'm going to leave it all up to the scientists. Well, the scientists say. Yeah. What is it that the scientists say, sir? Yeah, exactly. He doesn't know. That's, that's mumbo jumbo. All right. We're down to our last two stories, Corinne. Are we? Uh, two. See a lot of papers here, Derek. Two stories. Three stories. Oh, my God. Three stories. They're not so bad. Well, they're bad. They're bad. All right. So, first story, of course, is monsoon rains in Karachi, uh, Pakistan's most populous city, has created havoc. I don't know if you saw any of the video of this this past week or so. So we've talked a few times on the podcast about the monsoons um, and what climate change is doing to that over the subcontinent. Basically, long story short, it's making them both more severe and intense and like changing when they occur. So it's both drier in the dry part of the season and way wetter during the wet season. Um, And that's just wreaking havoc on local administrations. And this time it came for Karachi. Uh, So the city experienced its heaviest rains in almost a century, killing at least 41 people flooding that resulted in completely inundating several neighborhoods. So you can see photos of just like entire streets where it's just canals, basically. Um, It's just insane, the amount of thing there. Uh, Citizens are blaming the authorities for the catastrophic situation, saying that there had been no preparation before the start of the regular monsoon season. Underlying issues as to why the flooding were so bad, noticeably worse in poorer areas of the town. People suggest, suggest that they basically, the government didn't do its job of like cleaning out storm drains, cleaning the physical trash from Mm -hmm. the uh, way, or that so many roads were being built over the last 15, 10 years that they didn't have all the right drainage on them. So that as soon as basically a heavy rain like this came, it was inevitable that a flood would cause this sort of problem. So not great in Karachi. And then we've got one more sad story and then a funny story. Mm. All right, The sad story, of course, uh, most people have heard of the more than 600,000 homes and businesses that went without power in Louisiana, Texas, and Arkansas as Laura... Uh, the Category 4 storm made landfall last week. This was one of those two storms when we had talked about. The yeah. two. So Laura hit, and it was one of the most powerful storms to ever, hurricanes to ever strike the United States. Uh, it blamed for at least 14 deaths as it barreled across Louisiana and parts of Texas. Aerial pictures showed whole neighborhoods leveled across parts of the coast, huge expanses of flood water, and many buildings with shredded roofs and blasted out windows. And then, of course, the second storm following behind it, while it wasn't as powerful as Laura, was complicating relief efforts because you couldn't go in and fix and save people or turn power back on when you knew another storm was coming in. So, like, No relief. Yeah, exactly. So they were without relief for longer than they should have been. It was a big old mess. Uh, of course, mutual aid response has come to the rescue for both the incidents in Karachi and for Hurricane Laura. So if you are interested in volunteering or donating to mutual relief efforts, you can find those easily online. And our last story, Corinne, breaking news, actually. I don't know if you saw this from yesterday. Uh, I was almost going to do a whole episode about boat safety because of this one. I actually have managed to not see this only memes that I don't understand. Yeah. Multiple boats sink in Texas Lake at pro-Trump water parade is the headline. Yeah. A parade of boats in Texas celebrating their support for Donald Trump ended in disarray when multiple vehicles got into trouble on apparently choppy waters leading to several sinking and a slew of distress calls being made to rescue officials. The irony of this is not is lost on them, isn't it? I think it is. They blame that damn Antifa. <laughs> I did not I did chopping see chopping up their waters. Actually not just chopping up the waters, they believe that boats were sabotaged. I did see at least one honest to God person believe that these boats were sabotaged because Antifa's after them, I guess. I don't know. It's that damn Antifa. They're like the boogeyman. They're everywhere. Okay. Apparently, waterborne parades of Trump supporters have taken place across the United States this summer. This, this is, is like not, a thing. Uh, yeah, I didn't realize this was a thing. Uh, but New Jersey, South Carolina, a bunch of other states, apparently involving uh, several thousand boats overall. Uh, this is the first one that I've heard of that ended in catastrophe, though, as multiple boats <laughs> sunk. Trump himself has even spoken out in support of these flotillas, saying, I just wish I had time. I'd get on one of those boats. And I'd be carrying a flag also. I hope he does get on one of those boats, <laughs> and I hope he dies. <laughs> So that's the end of the news we have for today, Corinne. Um, fabulous. Wasn't so bad, right? Not terrible. Sure, we've had worse. We've had worse. Got it done. Got it done quick. It's only like 12 minutes into this thing. I don't know, a little longer it than that. It was jam-packed. It though. was jam-packed. Action-packed news. Right? Just the way I like it. Just the way. <laughs> just bing, bada, bing, bada, boom. I love one it. One after another. And now we're going to get into our prepper segment for the week, which is a fun one. It's a lot of stuff. Actually... 
we're going to get started on the prepper segment. We may end up having to break it into two. Maybe a two-parter. So episode uh, 50 might be part one and two? Yeah, it might be. It depends. Depends on how much we can seriously cram into this episode. Because it's a lot of information, and it's a lot of technical information. Okay. Uh, because this week... We actually got a request for this one. That's the no, other thing. Whoa, oh, whoa, it's a, whoa. We gotta, back things up. Yeah. We had an email asking us to cover this topic. Is and this so, someone that we know? No. We had a listener request, specifically request this topic. Number one, it's amazing we have a listener. Yeah. First off, number one, <laughs> amazing we have a listener. Second off, a great choice for a topic. Yes. And third off, if anyone else out there has a request for a topic they want to us cover. Clearly, you ask and we'll give it. Please email us at heatinguppodcast at gmail.com you know, or reach us on Twitter or wherever. We're on there occasionally. Yeah. I'll get a message on my phone if somebody tweets at us. Great. This week's topic, Corinne, digital security. I'm not secure in my... Yes. This is a topic all. that I think is really good because it's something everyone can use every day. Like we've covered a lot of prepper topics, like what to do in case there's a fire or you have to flee your home. But how many times have you had to flee your home, Corinne? None. None. Times. How many days are you on the internet? All of them. Every single day. So this is a topic. How that... many times has my credit card number's been stolen? <laughs> Couple, <laughs> Couple here and there. <laughs> so this is a topic that has a lot of real relevance for everybody, I think. And it's only more important, I think, as times become more chaotic. And as we become, live more and more online. So this is a lot of really good stuff. We're going to cover a lot of basics. Of course, whenever you get into a technological topic like this, you can go down a lot of rabbit holes. Mm -hmm. We're going to try and keep it pretty simple. Basically, if you follow all the things we talk about today, you're going to have a really, really strong foothold, really, really much more secure digital presence. So the first thing we're going to talk about is how to get your name off the Internet. Oh, how do you do that? Yes. Anybody who's ever Googled themselves has probably been terrified yes. by the fact you that... You can find out your address, your phone number, yeah. the last 10 years where you've lived, 30 everything. seconds and 20 bucks can find out basically anything about anyone yes. on the internet. Uh, websites like Spokio or uh, there's a million... Whitepages.com. I'm not going to lie. Just yesterday, I looked up a friend's address through the internet. Just Creepway. Creepway. Because I had to send a, an, a letter and I was like, how do I find it? Thanks, Spokio. That's super creepy. Right? If you were to Google yourself, let's start there. Nine times out of ten, your first page of results will be two things. Social media profiles yeah. and these creeper websites that compile your information. Those yeah. are actually called data brokers. Mm -hmm. So what they do is these sites scrape the internet and public records and basically any bit of information they can find, compile it, and basically accumulate it all in each person, and then they resell it to advertisers and whomever else, mm -hmm. you know, and individuals if they were so interested. So that's how creepy stalkers can find your name or address, or if you're going to be doxxed, that's how, an easy way for them to find your address. Yeah. So basically, if you're a female or if you're anyone anywhere, you definitely want to get that stuff off the internet. So we're going to talk about how to limit what they find on you on the internet. Yeah, let's hear it. So step one is Google yourself. Uh -huh. Basically, what you want to do is open an incognito tab, uh, and the reason you do that isn't because you're actually hiding from the internet. We'll show that later. It's because it doesn't record anything about you. So you'll be more likely to see what anyone else looks at. Oh, okay. When you do, and then Google yourself through the incognito tab. And you'll see what the results are that some random person would get when they Googled your name. Yeah. And as we said, you're going to find basically all of your social media stuff. And then you're going to find those data mining sites. We're going to deal with the social media stuff first. Okay. The most obvious way to clean that up is eliminate accounts altogether, right? Okay, Which we're going to get into what, what you do if you're not going to do that. But most people have random social media stuff up that they do not use and do not need. Like my MySpace from 2002. Yes. When I Googled your name, the but first But I don't like, remember where to get that from. You can get into it. It just might take a little bit of work. You might need to send an email to them, or you can ask them to clear it off their website. Yeah. But basically, if you have old social media that you can get into and you never use, like mine has a Pinterest that pops up, a apparently. It's not Pinterest. This is what I'm saying. It's I've, Pinterest. A Pinterest <laughs> that I've, I barely have used ever in my life, but apparently it exists, and it's in like yes. my top three. <laughs> it's just knives. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think I have a whole file of just knives Although on you want people to find your Pinterest or I Etsy guess. account so I know what to get you for your birthday. Sure. So, again, curating your social media or what is available. Get rid of any accounts you can easily get rid of. But if you're not ready to delete the gram, what you really want to do is go into the privacy settings. Right. Nowadays, pretty much every social media, Facebook, Instagram... 
Pinterest, uh, <laughs> whatever, have pretty easy to access, pretty easy to understand settings privacy. for privacy. Yeah. And err on the side of making everything as private as you can. Mm -hmm. So you can turn off things that are important to turn off, like auto uh, tagging you in photos, mm -hmm. so that it doesn't run the facial recognition or geotagging your photos or geotagging your location. So that if you check, you know, if you you know, post something from somebody else's house. It doesn't tag you at that place. You can turn off how people search for you. So you can make it so people can't search for you on Facebook and find you. So that creepy friend from eighth grade can no longer request to be your friend. I did just have a suspicious looking person try to add me on Facebook. So you can turn off any number of things on most of your social media. And it's a good idea to do so. So if you are going to keep your social media, like most of us will, do that. If you're a public person or if you're a person who has a job where, you know, your, you know, what people find out about you so for uh, is important. So like lawyers, you know, anybody in the public eye at any way might want to consider having multiple accounts. So a lot of people already do this, but basically yeah. one public account that's like your public face and then a private account for your friends and family. That's just good social media management. So for all of the rest of your social media, delete what you don't need, delete what's old and set everything to private. Mm -hmm. That's the easy stuff. The next step is dealing with those data brokers. The good news is that in the vast majority of cases, these people are legally required to remove your info if you ask them to. Okay, that's good. The problem is that they don't make it really easy to ask. Mm, so Nowhere to contact them. They have they absolutely have to have a way to contact them, but it mostly requires jumping through a couple of hoops. The absolute easiest way to do it is to pay someone else to do it. There are services that do this. So the website deleteme.com will do a pretty thorough job of getting to all of these data scrapers and getting rid of your info. And it's fairly cheap. A couple, you know, like 25 bucks a month or something like this to get through it. And once they get through it, you can cancel the service or whatever. Now, deleteme.com? Deleteme.com. There are a couple of other like that. That's the most prominent one. Sorry, if you don't want to pay someone to do it, you can do it yourself. It just requires a little bit more work, a little more legwork on your, your part mm -hmm. and just being diligent. So a group called Equality Labs, who has a ton of great info on basic services, comp has compiled a list of the ma most major data brokers and how to opt out of each and every one of them. So like quick links for each one. Okay. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. DeleteMe.com also has a link to some of the big ones and how to do it yourself. But uh, you can just Google it as well. So basically what I would do is take that Google search result, find the website that's got you. So Spokio.com has got you in there on the mm -hmm. thing. You can then type in Spokio opt-out page or whatever, and it'll uh -huh. take you directly to that link. Right. Opt-out is the key term. Yeah. Most of them, you can find it under like the contact us or somewhere along the bottom. They've got a little opt-out like, It link. doesn't look like you can click it. Yeah. But for the most part, if you just Google the name of the website and opt-out, you'll find a link to it pretty quick or okay. find a link to how to do it. Um, so it's a little more work. I, you know, it takes a couple hours if this is your first time doing it to get through all of them, and it'll take a few days for them all to, to process your requests. And then the other thing is you have to keep going back to do it. So some of the websites that are more shady will stop collecting your info when they tell you to, but then immediately start collecting new info on you. So if you go back and reuse your you know, information, they'll basically recreate an account. So a couple months later, you're back on mm. there. You're like, wait a minute, I wanted this. So you have to go back every couple of months and double check. So Google yourself every couple of months. But if you do a pretty good job of asking these companies to delete yourself, eventually you'll you'll get taken off of almost all of them. Nice. Some can't delete you. So like if you are a state employee, there are websites that like list everyone's uh, uh, salary online Wait, for state employees. State employee salaries are listed online? That's public domain information and you can't get removed from that list. Man. But like your address and things like that, you can get off of there. And many of these companies, if you like email them and be like, hey, uh, you know, I'm being stalked. I want my name off the internet. They'll maybe bump it up the priority list a little yeah. bit. Uh, but basically, yeah, Google the website, uh, opt out page, and you can get yourself off of them. It takes a couple hours. It takes uh, like answering emails and confirming an email and going through a bunch of snap catches or whatever. Mm -hmm. But you can do it yourself. You don't have to pay someone to do it. And being diligent on it and then coming back in a couple of months and doing it again, you do that over the course of about six months, you're going to be off of 99% of those things. And it's going to be way harder for some random person to just Google you and find your address. Yeah should be nice yeah another good option for helping you scrub the internet of your information is a service called deceit.me so that's d-e-s-e-a-t dot m-e 
Okay. And that automates and deletes a lot of stored information that it'll have on there. So basically, like, it checks a bunch of stuff for you, and it'll delete a lot of cached information on you. Interesting. On the website. So that's another good, helpful tool. In rare instances, you might have personal info on the web posted by neither one of these services. So it might just be, like, some person who hates you posting on a forum. <laughs> your like address. And this happens. I mean, yeah. there are terrible people out there. So let's say some jerk posts your information on some random public forum, right? And you want to get it deleted. And the owner of the forum is, you know, refusing to remove it or things like that. You can send a legal request to Google to have it removed from search engines. Mm -hmm. um, but again, this takes an extra step and you'd want to Google that, yeah. how to do that. That's, I think, a next level thing. We're not going to quite get into that because mm -hmm. most people, luckily, aren't going to have to deal with that. But you can get almost anything taken down off the Internet if you try hard enough. Okay. Taking those steps will take a huge amount of your data off of the Internet. Yeah. It's free to do all of those things, like I said. You don't have to spend a dime and you can get a lot of those creepy results removed and basically limit what people see when they see you. If you're a public person, you might also think about hiring a personality manager. There are some websites that'll basically boost up the, the sites you want on the website. And kind of bury the ones you don't. Kind of bury the ones you don't. But for the most normal people, you just want to get your address off of there. Yeah. So And that'll do a really good job of that. This won't stop, however, people who are actively trying to target you, right? Mm. This is kind of, this will stop a lot of the spam, a lot of the people that are like fishing for random people to steal their identity or some creep who just knows your name. Yeah. This will kind of stop the lazy ones. But if someone is specifically targeting you to steal your information, it's going to be a little bit harder, right? Because they're going to be way more targeted. Mm. All right. So we're going to get to the next steps for that. So how to secure the stuff you already have or that you're going to keep. Okay. Okay, so you can take a break here if that was already a lot of information. <laughs> Pause the podcast, deal with that stuff, come back here in a couple of days. Yeah. Step two, let's deal with some basic computer security. Passwords and emails. Ooh. Right? I know. There are a million things that require passwords and emails, and it's impossible to keep track of them all. Right? Unless so we get, you do the same password in different versions over and right? over and over. So we get lazy, just like that, and we reuse passwords that are supposed to be unique, not actual words, right? We all know what a good password is supposed to be, right? It's supposed to be completely random with letters and capitals and umlauts. A good password's one you can remember, Derek. Right. Uh, but we all end up using password123 because it's... Who can remember all these other passwords? That is where a password manager comes in. Right? I know, I know. Listen. To help get all of your passwords up to code and try and make it easy to remember them all and keep them secure, use a password manager. I These know. are free services. They are easy to use. I've been using lastpass.com. Uh, this is not a plug for them, but I'm just saying I personally have used them for a couple of years. It's great. Is it free? It's free. They have pay services, but the free is going to be useful for 90% of people, you know? And you can basically plug in an unlimited number of things that you have passwords or so you can say smud. Yeah. Da, 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 da. What I really like about LastPass, there are other ones as well, and I've got a list down here. I'll get to them too. But what I like about LastPass is once you plug in all of inf your information, they can help you change the passwords on all of them so yeah. that they're all unique and, you know, good, you know, 12 letters long, randomized passwords or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then you don't have to remember each and every one of them because LastPass has got it all. All you have to remember is the unique randomized password that you used for LastPass. Don't ever forget that. Don't forget that one. If you do, there are ways to recover it like everything else, but it is significantly more difficult. Right. Either way, password managers are really good and they help prevent you from being lazy. LastPass is really good, but there are other options out there. Keeper, Bitwarden, Dashlane, and 1Password are probably the biggest names. Uh, all of those are pretty well rated if you go look at, like, security experts say. Some of those are pay. Some of them have free versions as well. Really look for what your needs are when you look at your password man manager. Yeah. But like I said, for the vast majority of us, a free password manager like they have at LastPass is going to be enough. Uh, so, yeah, highly recommend it. So a convenient shortcut to remembering those passwords or using a password manager sometimes is to let your browser remember them. I know everyone, like, when you Google in, your browser might ask you, do you want to remember your password at this site? I and it's so easy yes. to click yes. Do not do that. <sighs> but it's so the good. reason for that is the underpinning security of your browser is generally not that good. And so it's so, nice, it's so easy to do it through the browser. Don't do it through the browser. Do it through a secure password manager, another program, right? doesn't require and also the browser one doesn't require your password to actually be any good 
So, again, that's not a great way to do it. Don't do that. All right. Another tool that is useful in trying to manage your passwords and preventing you from getting all sorts of random things is a random email generator. Corinne, do you know what this is? Yes, I have heard of this. Okay. So the problem with a problem a lot of us have, I definitely have it, is you have like one email address and over the years you collect so you want to get that 20% off coupon at this website you never want to go to again or you type it in because you wanted to read an article for free and all of a sudden you know six months later you are getting 50 emails a day and you don't want to read any of them so you either got to put them all in spam or delete them or unsubscribe or you just let it build and they all yeah or you let it build and then you burn it all down uh, but the bot- the problem is that all of those websites now have your email address. They have a bit of information on yeah. you, and they're selling it to these you know data scrapers and to whoever else is. You don't want them to have your pat. You don't want them to have your email. You don't want them to have nothing. You just want to get that twenty percent off coupon <laughs> and be done with them. And that's where a random email generator comes in. There are a million of these things out there, but what they do is they basically create an email address that doesn't last very long. And it can be whatever you want it to be at whatever the email generator website is. So one I've used in the past is maildrop.cc. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, you can type in whatever you want. You can type in, you know, awesome sauce at maildrop.cc, and it will accept that as a real pa- a real email account. So then you get what your twenty percent off. You then go to maildrop.cc, log into awesome sauce, get your twenty percent off coupon, and then in like twenty four hours, it basically flushes the whole system. And no one else can see it. So even if some other person randomly logged into awesomesauce.maildraw, they got nothing. They got nothing. Random email generators are really useful when you don't want to give anyone your actual information. And there are a million of them out there. I didn't know enough and didn't want to look into which ones are the best. We all got Google. Everybody's got Google. You can all find a random email generator that works for you. So using a password manager and a random email generator, and again, Use that password manager. It will save the random email that you used for your login account and the password you created. So you don't have to remember it. So five years later, if you want to go back to that website and order another t-shirt. Really? Password manager saved it. You don't have to create a new account. You can go right back into it. Okay. Right? And you can keep getting that first time used just 20% off. Yeah. So that's email, right? So those two things right there will help keep your email secure. The other thing, the other nice thing about using random email generators for all of your stuff is that you're way less likely to get hacked. Mm -hmm. So one of the problems is you type in your email address and we're lazy, so we use that same password, right? So let's say you went to uh, like Macy's.com and you created an account using, you know, your normal everyday email address, right? And because we're lazy, you use the same password you use all the time, right? Mm -hmm. When Macy's gets hacked and they lose your information... They now have your email address and the password you've likely used on other things. And maybe your credit card. And likely your credit card and maybe any number of things. So yeah, if you ever want to be really sad at yourself and see where you've actually already had your data breached, Mm -hmm. you can go to HTTPS HaveIBeenPwned.com. Okay, this sounds HaveIBeenPwned.com. And you type in your email address and it will tell you, all of the security breaches in which your email address has been compromised. But why would you want to know that? <laughs> so that you can change your email address. Like, if you need some uh, help doing that. But if you use a random email generator, then they, congratulations, they stole some random email you've never going to yeah. use again and doesn't have any of your information. So, another important tool for using a random email generator, or reason why you should. That makes sense, Karen? Mm-hmm. All right. So, so far, we're pretty secure, right? We've gotten our name off the internet we've cleaned up our passwords and emails right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the next step is the thing we use a lot our phones trouble right for phones the number one thing you need to do is get a good pin for your phone i don't have a password on my phone yes obviously you need a password (laughs) on your phone right if someone were to take your phone or you lose your phone you leave it at the pizza place if you don't have a pin Somebody's got all of your information. And nowadays, we do everything on our phones. Mm -hmm. So it's real, and we save all that information on there. So it's really important that your phone is secure. So a pin. And not, Corinne, I thought maybe that you had a pin, but it would be like the same pin you use for your, like... Don't even have a pin. (laughs) Okay. I I was giving you a benefit of the doubt. But obviously, your pin should be a unique number, not recycled just like passwords don't use the same pin for your bank card as you do for your phone as That's you do a good for... one though 
It's your birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that, guys. Don't use your birthday or any other number, your last four of your social or whatever. Use a random number. In fact, you should make your pin six digits. Whoa, you can whoa, do this in the settings. Whoa, whoa. Your pin for your phone should be six digits That's long. so many digits. That's it's like a phone more. number. Yes. What you don't want to do are those uh, zigzag, zigzag lines, whatever they're called. Those are really easy to grease spot. Grease marks. Yeah. The grease marks on your phone can give it away or someone can watch you do it mm-hmm. and basically do the same thing. Those are not good. A lot of phones nowadays use the biometric scans. So the phones that recognize your face. But or what happens you, when you get fat? You know? It still recognizes your face. I know. <laughs> but uh, And if you use your thumbprint or whatever, there's a lot of phones that do that. Those are convenient and really nice. And they do keep your phone secure if someone steals your phone. There is a downside to them, however. If you are arrested or if, you know, the, the government has you and your phone, they can compel you to open it using your biometrics. They can basically just hold your phone up to your face and now they're into your phone. Whereas if you had a six-digit pin, you can say, get lost, fed, and they can't get into your phone. <laughs> yeah. So Burn off your fingerprints, I guess, exactly. real so quick. Don't, so using a biometric, it can be really convenient in everyday life, but a six-digit pin is usually more secure for that reason. Maybe less convenient. Does that make sense? Yeah. Next step for your phone. After you get that six-digit pin, Corinne, mm-hmm. keep your phone updated. What do you mean? When it's like when it says we've got an update, software update, you do it? You do it, and you do it immediately. Why? Because those software updates, 9 out of 10 of them, contain updates to the security software on your phone. In fact, one of the major reasons why phones get updated is because sophisticated hackers have, fi- have managed to find a loophole into the phone's security, and sophisticated phone techs have figured out how to block it, and that's what they're updating. Okay, so well, I usually do it after a couple of days. You want to update it quickly. Don't let it sit on the old ones. Yes, if you're worried about what Google is uploading on your phone, you shouldn't even have the phone. Just update it. It's nine times out of ten going to help you with security. Fair enough? Yes. And, of course, only download apps from approved app stores. Yeah, but, Derek, I want to see what it would look like if I were a painting from the Renaissance. Uh, get the app off of the actual app store. Again, they've been vetted by the company that makes your phone to make sure they aren't harmful or downloading backdoor Trojans and shit into your phone. Mm-hmm. Get real apps. And then you also want to go into your settings and see what permissions you've given all of your apps. So mm. you would be surprised how many ga- like little games on your phone but or whatever that like want access to your voice recorder, want access to your emails, want access to everything. And because they're selling that information, that's how they're making money, mm-hmm. right? You're the product. So on Android, go to settings and then apps, which will show you a list of all that you've got installed. And you can click on any single app and then see what permissions it's given. Mm -hmm. And you want to basically set permissions to nothing for almost everything. And then you want to give permissions as needed, right? So it's better to take away a permission you don't think they need, and then they'll ask for it later. So the website might be like, or, you know, Angry Birds wants to record your phone calls. And you can be like, nope, don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, don't give permissions just out willy-nilly and go through and manage what you're giving permissions for. And at least you'll know who's spying on you, <laughs> what apps you are. Sure. And you might have, Decide a, it's you might have a, an app on your phone that has like 15 million voice or video or email recordings and it's just some crappy game you never use. And mm-hmm. be like, you know what? I don't need this spyware on my phone. Mm-hmm. So get it off of there. All right. Uh, for OIS, for, so for Apple, all you fancy people, it's settings and privacy. And then you can see all the permissions that you're given out there. That's a lot of stuff, but it's not terribly complicated. And if you've done those things, now your phone is secure, your email is secure, you're way less obvious on the internet, right? Your social media is more secure. You're going to have a way better digital security profile, right? Those are the real basic stuff. The next level stuff, Corinne, is how to browse the internet without anyone paying attention to what you're doing. Incognito doesn't count? Incognito does not work. Yeah, I know. You're like, slipped into incognito Mm. so so long, feds. Thought I had it all figured out, eh? Yeah. No. Uh, The next step is going to be the weird technical stuff that I think people think sounds like magic. It does. I don't understand this mindset. I'm going to go on a little bit of a rant right here. Okay, here we go. When I was a kid, I had a little book that was called How Things Work. And it had, like, big full-page illustrations on how everything from, like, a piano to a computer physically oh, worked. Derek, you were a nerd. I was a nerd. But I can't understand how people use things without knowing the actual way in which they work. Excuse me. Do you drive a car every day? Yes. Do you know everything about cars? I know how generally cars work, yeah. Okay, Derek, 
But you can't. I don't know how this microphone works. I don't know how a car works. I don't know how anything works. This is my thing. I can't understand that mindset. How I know how all not? these things work, basically. How can basically. you not? How, you just have to do it, man. I don't know how bridges work, really. You know? I mean, like. Do you, wha- do you need to go back to sixth grade science? Okay, but like. At a certain point, I'm like, yeah, I mean, I get it, but this is real far. How does a plane work? I Google it every time I go on a plane. <laughs> Still freaks me out. What am I going to do, not go on an airplane? We shouldn't be up there. <laughs> that went a weird direction, but okay. I'm just saying, you can't know. I disagree. I disagree fully because you can't know everything that you do and you I think use. you should have a Microwave? Basic un- yeah. You should have a basic understanding of convection. Uh, you should have a basic understanding of how the internet works. And I think most people have no idea. It's basically magic. Yeah, it is magic, Derek. All right. So there was a time, of course, when some computer nerd in a movie started talking about encryption. And basically, it was gook magic, right? Zero, we're, zero, one, something. We're going to talk about what encryption means and why it's important for everybody. Oh, boy, you're losing me on this one. All right, here we go. The times have changed, obviously. Encryption isn't just for, like, some 90s nerd. Basically, everybody wants to hide from snooping eyes online. These snooping eyes could be, you know, malicious people looking to steal your credit card information. They could be governments, like the damn Chinese and the Antifa trying to steal your information. (laughs) They could be people trying to dox you. They could be the feds. They could be whoever. Basically, you want to be able to securely communicate information online, and that is what encryption does. Encryption codes everything that you send and if it's end to end so if i'm encrypted and you're encrypted basically no one can break into that message it only goes to where the message wants and no one's stealing prying eyes and reading it before it gets to you does that make sense yes so the good news is that safe simple and easy to use encrypted text messaging is readily available i have one i know i was gonna say i was gonna give you props for this well, only I told because you, you only communicate through it because i told you to download it uh, there is a very well-known app called signal and this is a leader in the field and it has really good end-to-end encryption and what's nice about them is they unlike other apps that are encrypted like whatsapp will also not log and track your metadata I don't even know what that is. I was going to say. Most people don't understand. Metadata is basic info about the data you're sending. So let's say I sent Corinne a message saying, sup, you want to have pizza? That's the data, right? Mm -hmm. So encryption prevents anyone from reading that data. Yeah. Metadata is the fact that Derek sent Corinne a message at 6.50 p.m. on Sunday from his house, Mm. and Corinne received it at her house. So if I'm helping you bury a body. Right? Right. They might not be able to read what the specific communication is, but metadata can say, oh, you were talking to Corinne at 5.55 I didn't realize that things like WhatsApp were actually had encryption. I thought it was just... WhatsApp is encrypted, but they do log and track your metadata, and they might give that metadata to other people, sell it to third parties or to the government or whomever, right? So Signal doesn't do that, which is a nice, you know pro for signal for encryption to work however as we said it needs to be on both sides of the equation so if i have the signal app and corinne you don't have the signal app when Mm -hmm. i send a message to you it is not fully encrypted right right if you're just using your basic phone software you have just your basic phone encryption it is not specially end-to-end encrypted does that yeah. make sense? Yes. So everyone like needs to be on Like when you the... send me a Signal message and I sometimes respond in a text message. If it's not through the Signal app. <laughs> You're mad at me. Yeah. It'll, my phone actually tells me that it... But that's not another nice thing about Signal. When it's not fully encrypted, it tells you. But basically, yeah, you want both sides of the equation using the same app. Other options include apps like Wire or Wicker, which offer an additional bonus that Signal does not. Uh, These apps don't require you to tie the account to a phone number. So Mm. if you use Wire, you can basically just get an account. You don't have to tie it to your phone number. When I use Signal, it's tied to my phone. So it's like an extra level of anonymity. Does that make sense? Uh, A tool called Keybase offers a way to communicate and organize in groups using encrypted tools. Uh, So it's basically like a Slack or like a group organizer, but it's encrypted end-to-end, so everything on it. I used Keybase when I was doing uh, work around here in Sacramento with Extinction Rebellion. They organized on Keybase. So anyone doing any sort of activist work or work where they don't want prying eyes to see what their plans are, uh, Keybase is a great tool to organize in a group setting. Okay. Right? So you can get little different groups in any sort of meeting or organization you want to do. Keybase does that. Both Signal and Wire offer encrypted video and voice communication as well. Wire even offers multiple person calls, right? Right now, 
uh, if you're looking for an end-to-end -end encrypted alternative to Skype or Zoom, which again, a lot of people are, there's not really that many that do it. Wire does offer group video chat. So if you want a completely encrypted video chat, like a Skype call, Wire can do it, but you do have to do it for pay accounts. You have to pay for your wire, that wire. Mm -hmm. It's like the premium plan. Yeah. Which again, if that's something Fair you're enough. really interested in, it's probably worth it to you to pay for that premium wire account. Mm -hmm. uh, and we did just see that Zoom and Skype have had trouble keeping people out of Zoom calls or oh, yeah. keeping their information secure. So a lot of people might actually be looking for end-to-end -end encryption in their group chat. So if you know how to do that, make yourself a moneymaker. Wire does it. You just have to pay do for another it. one. Yeah, there's, I'm sure there are others out there as well, but they're probably the most well known. FaceTime and WhatsApp do offer end to end encryption. So if you're using those apps, you, congratulations. Uh, but they don't have the same guarantees about metadata as Signal or Wire. Mm -hmm. So if that's a, something that you're really concerned about, you might not think about FaceTime or, or WhatsApp. But otherwise, those apps actually are pretty good with their encryption. Yeah, great. That's transmitting data that way. Okay. That makes sense? Yes. You're with me? I know there's a lot it's of a information. Lot. It's so a lot. I still got to go delete my MySpace from 2002. <laughs> right? It's going to be a while. So again, that's like step two. Get your text messaging and your FaceTiming encrypted. Right? The next step is if you want to send an email and make it encrypted, there are some alternatives. The problem is nobody really sends emails anymore. And Not it's, again, really. it's got to be end-to-end. -end, so the other user has to have the same encrypted email. Um, it's way easier to send that data via text message now, yeah. encrypted. But like, so like offers, uh, like ProtonMail is a famous encrypted email service, but everybody's got to have a ProtonMail address. Otherwise, it's like that half encrypted stuff yeah. that doesn't work. The last thing you want to worry about is, is encrypting stored data. So when we're dealing with text messages and emails and video calls, we're talking about data on the move, right? What about the stuff you have on your phone? Remember way back when, when we told you to make digital copies of all of your uh, birth certificates and passports and all of your good documents? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so you've got all those files on there. You might not want anyone who gets access to your you know, internet or to your computer to have those files. So you want to encrypt it separately, right? Make mm -hmm. it hard to get to. Does that make sense? Yes. Luckily, this is really easy to do. Encrypting data at rest is really simple. If you have a Mac, Apple's desk utility allows you to encrypt chunks of your internal storage or ex external drives. You can either create a new encrypted image on your hard drive or turn an existing folder into one of those encrypted hard drive compartments. Okay. Apple's Fire Vault takes it to the next logical conclusion, which encrypts your entire hard drive. There you go. Right? Uh, just switch it on under System Preferences. So you click on System Preferences, go to Security and Privacy, and there's a little button that says Turn on File Vault. Right? Mm-hmm. Boom, restart your computer, and you have full disk encryption. Okay. Right? For Windows, if you want to encrypt a file, you can also do it easily. You right-click on the file, and then you click on Properties. From there, you click on the Advanced button, and then there's a little check mark. Turn on Encryption. You turn on Encryption, you can do the same thing for your hard drive, and the tool you use there is called BitLocker. But the same idea. Really simple to do, right? You can encrypt the entire drive this way. Encrypting data like this will prevent anyone who has gained access to your computer from getting to that specific information. Mm. Right? So this is really important if you use cloud storage. So a lot of people use things like uh, Google Drive or, or like Amazon Photos yeah, or Amazon Photos or Dropbox or any of these cloud storage op options, right? If that data is compromised, so if Dropbox gets hacked and they get all of your files that are on there mm -hmm. they can have access to it if you encrypt the file before you upload it to dropbox it's basically useless even if they steal it does that make sense mm -hmm. so it's an important security measure if you have anything you don't want randomized to look at yeah okay so that is how to encrypt everything you send or store and it's really simple it's a couple of apps a couple of clicks on the mouse and you're a million times more secure than you probably are right now and again, this may seem like crazy town, but it's really not. This stuff is basically preventing people from stealing your credit cards, from stealing your day-to-day -day information. And it's just important for basically anyone who operates on the internet to know how to do this stuff. Yeah. I would say this isn't just for journalists or activists or you know people, people in the, the public, public eye. eye. This is for random normal people. We've all had issues where our credit card got stolen. My credit card was stolen, I'm not kidding, last month. <laughs> So yeah, again, doing this sort of stuff is really important, all right? And there is one last level to what we're going to do, and this is the, yeah. So again, 
if this has been a ton of information, put a pin in it here. Now you've got two-thirds of the stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So we've done how to get your name off the internet, how to encrypt your stuff, how to make it secure. The next step, how to navigate the internet without anyone seeing or what you're doing. How to basically become anonymous on the internet. Incognito. <laughs> Incognito mode is not the VPN, way to do it. VPN, yeah. is that what we're going towards? Yes. Corinne, I'm, I'm a little happy that you knew that. <laughs> I'm going to ask you a second follow-up question Ooh, here. Oh, don't ask me any follow-ups. Yeah. Do you know what VPN stands for? Virtual Internet That's Protection. Not a no. okay. Oh, VPN. Virtual Protection Now. <laughs> not quite. All right, we'll get to it in a second. Close. When it comes to using the internet anonymously, which is what we're talking about here, the big step, the big thing you need to worry about is masking or hiding or faking your IP address. Yes. Your IP address is a string of numbers and decimals that identifies every device that is connected to the internet. Every single device has a unique IP address. That IP address is connected to the internet and it is public. It is unique, and so it can be used to track you specifically and what you are doing on the internet. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Going incognito, as you said before, does it can hide <laughs> your browser history. Yes. So if you're looking up birthday gifts for someone else who uses the same computer or something, it can hide that history, mm -hmm. but it does nothing to hide your IP address from someone who might be looking at your overall data, right? right. Still shows up there. If you want to figure out what your IP address is, the easiest way to do it is, again, Google it. Google, what is my IP address? And it will pop up. And it will likely look like a set of numbers that are decimals and dots. So it'll be like 123.45.67. Right. Right? It may be a bit longer and more confusing. That's a special newer version, but we don't need to get into all of that. Basically, what you want to do is mask that IP address. And there's two major ways to do it. The first, you already mentioned, Corinne, which I was shocked that you did. Wow. So I'm going to give you some benefit on this Thank one. You. Is Thank by you. using a VPN. VPN stands for Virtual Private Network. Oh, man, I basically had it. Yeah, one out of three. <laughs> that ain't bad. It is a software service that encrypts all of the data sent to and from the Internet and routes it through a VPN server in another location. The VPN server acts as a middleman between your device and the internet. So websites and online apps only see the server's IP address and not your own. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. Most VPNs are subscription services and cost a few dollars per month for access to hundreds or even thousands of servers from around the world. You need to sign up and download the apps on your devices. After that, hiding your IP address just is a couple of clicks. It's pretty simple, actually. Most commercial VPN providers use shared IP addresses, which is important. You might think, oh, you're sharing it. That's not secure. Actually, using a shared IP is better because then there's no way to differentiate what I'm using and what you're yeah. using if we're using the same one, right? Mm -hmm. It makes it basically impossible to tell what any specific user on that IP VPN address is yeah. using or is looking at, right? So if you're serious about hiding your IP address, it is vital to get a VPN with these features. So when you're looking at your VPN providers, look for these things. Private DNS servers. All right, DNS works like a phone book for the internet by translating domain name into IP addresses that your device can use to communicate. By default, you probably use DNS servers operated by your service provider. So if you have AT&T internet, they probably offer or provide you your DNS, right? They can see your IP address when you request a website, even if you connected to a VPN. Mm -hmm. So to hide it, you use the private DNS servers. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. That's why that one's important. Next, leak protection. VPNs are meant to protect all the internet data traveling to and from your device, but sometimes they leak. When they leak, they expose your IP address. Get yourself a VPN that has a DNS uh, leak preve prevention service, right? Basically, it prevents your information from leaking out. A kill switch. This is the idea that if the VPN cuts out for some point, so let's say you use a VPN, but it's offline, mm -hmm. right? You, you might not know that it's offline and you're continuing to browse. Right. You're not using it, basically, right? A kill switch basically shuts off your access to the internet if it's not secure. Okay. Does that make sense? And a no logs policy. Again, just like we talked about how Signal doesn't log your metadata, mm -hmm. we want to use a VPN that does not record or store your internet activity or any connection details that can be used to identify you. 
right? It makes sense, right? Yeah. If your VPN is storing your internet data, that defeats the whole point of using a VPN. This is the problem with a lot of free VPNs. So if you Google like free VPN service, you're going to find some, mm -hmm. but chances are they're storing that data and selling it, at which point you're not even really hiding. Yeah. Does that make sense? Kind of point. Kind of the point. So you want to pay for that anonymity. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Plus free services usually limit the amount of data you can use and the speed you can use it at. Right? Yeah. Which is not great. But generally speaking, if you pay for a VPN service, you can get unlimited data running at super fast speeds and pretty damn anonymous, right? The other method is free, but has some other drawbacks. And this is using a Tor. Have okay. you used that, heard of that one before? No. Okay. Tor, T-O-R, which is short for The Onion Router. I don't know where that comes from. I'm not a nerd. Mm. Is a, yeah. <laughs> I say that as I'm talking about it. Uh, is a decentralized worldwide anonymity network operated by thousands of volunteers. Okay. Right? When you connect to Tor, your internet traffic is encrypted and routed through a random sequence of these volunteer nodes, which are sort of like proxy servers. It's getting real It's getting technical. Nerdy. Basically, what it means is it randomizes where you're connecting from, basically masks where you're coming onto the internet from, right? And then it pops out some random spot in the world. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it basically mirrors you with somewhere else, right? So if you use a Tor service, it might look like you're popping up somewhere else. Basically, it's impossible to tell where you are. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It's basically impossible to trace the activity back to the original IP address. The easiest way to use a Tor is to download and install the Tor browser. Just Google Tor browser. It'll pop up. <laughs> it works just like the bare bones version of any other browser like Chrome or Firefox or, how, or yeah. Internet Explorer or AltaVista or whatever you're using, Corinne. Mm -hmm. And it's completely free. Right? Great. Which is great. There are some drawbacks. Because it has to ping your thing around a million different volunteer nodes, it is slow. Slow. Right? So using a tour is not going to be suitable for downloading or for streaming video. Games. Or, yeah. Things like that. It's If you're going to web browse, it's great. Mm -hmm. Right? Online but you, shopping, probably. Online shopping. Probably pretty good. If you want to play Fortnite... Not so good. Not so good. Or the other problems are Tor is associated with criminal activity. Uh-oh. So basically, this? yeah, it allows you to access the dark net or illicit websites because it won't check where you're, you won't be able to figure out where uh, you're coming from. Oh, like pedophiles use it. Yes. And so because of that, many websites uh, block connections from known Tor nodes. That's fair. Which is fair. Uh, and then they require you to jump through hoops to get access to them. So, like, they might not block your access specifically, but it might say, like, you're from an unsecure location, so I need you to do 15 different snap catches or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Those little, like, pick out the signal yeah. lights or crosswalks. Which you begin to really doubt your ability to be human. Like, right. Like, is this what it means to be human? I can spot a crosswalk from nine different <laughs> this pictures? This feels like one of those tests in kindergarten or when they're you trying fail to spot it, a sociopath. Yeah, you're like, damn it, I missed one. <laughs> that was rough. Yeah. But uh, no, so it can be a hassle to try and access yeah. some websites through the tour. And like I said, yeah, it does get used for criminal activity, again, because you can be fairly anonymous on it, right? It's impossible <gasps> to track your IP Pedophiles. address. Yes, and the dark net or whatever else. Of course, if you're trying to access those things, whatever. Uh, so those are basically the two easiest ways to mask your IP address. There are other things you can do, but they're like next level. These are pretty simple. Anyone could get a VPN or use the Tor browser. Again, benefits for both. If you're seriously concerned about like the NSA tracking your online activity, you can download an entire Tor-based uh, operating system, uh, which is called Tails. Uh, basically, this is what Edward Snowden uses to like prevent the... <laughs> I'm not lying. He said this it. is what he uses is tails. But that's probably like overkill for yeah. you, Corinne. Like if, if it's good enough for Snowden, it's definitely going to be good enough for me. Mm -hmm. But I don't think I need to go that far, right? Yeah. Using the Tor browser to hide my searching from my wife is probably, yeah. A little much. <laughs> A little much. Anyways. She knows what you, you're yeah. looking at knives. Exactly. Looking at knives. Uh, so that is it. If you have done these things, if you have, you know, gotten your data off the data miners, locked up your passwords, gotten them all nice and good, use a you know, random email generator, look on the internet using a Tor, or use a VPN service, you are going to be so much more secure on the internet than you probably were an hour ago. I'm not yet, because I yet, was here. But is what I'm saying. So, that's a lot of work to do. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong, it's a lot of stuff. Take I'm it. I'm not going to lie, I'm going to throw some money at the problem. <laughs> 
you can throw some delete money at the me. problem. The Delete Me website, it, it offers a decent service. There are other websites like it as well. And, the, and what's nice about those is if you keep the subscription, they'll like automatically keep going back through and making yeah. sure you stay off of them, which is nice. As long nice. as one of those people isn't a weirdo, then you're in real trouble. I guess. But that's true of like anywhere that you yeah. work. But yeah, so those are the basic steps for digital security. How to really lower your risk of digital breaches or having someone track what you're doing on the internet. Uh, that someone could be the government or it could just be some random weirdo. Could yeah. be. Either or. Or both. Mm -hmm. uh, could be a weirdo government. <laughs> Never seen one of those. We don't have that here. Yeah. But that is internet security. It wasn't too bad, right? It was all right. It, I mean, it got a little technical there, yeah. but not too terrible. And again, take it slow. Go back, re-listen to the section again, because I talk fast. If you're like me, just throw money at the problem. <laughs> throw money at the problem if you want to. But yeah, that's digital security. And I think that's, it's really important in something unlike, you know, our episode on how to run away from a fire. Mm -hmm. You're going you're gonna to use this every day yeah. of your life. Well, that was a really great suggestion from our listeners. Yeah. So really again, appreciate it. If you have a suggestion for another topic you want us to cover, let us know. We're, we've, we're open to all sorts of ideas. Yeah. Very uh, good. That's the episode today, Corinne. All good right, one. Derek. Okay. We made it. Yeah. We did it. All right, again, if you like, uh, please subscribe, hit the like button. Uh, comment, review. Comment, review. We share, definitely want some reviews. Tell other people about the podcast. Take a picture of you listening to the podcast and put it on our Facebook or something. <laughs> I don't know. Something uh, like that. Yeah, good times. Uh, thanks for listening, and we will see you in a week.